In today's brief, we'll talk about poor command decisions, Putin's catch-22, and another round of nuclear threats. I'm Yulia, and today is Friday, July 14, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine, from the front. According to the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, Russian advances towards Nevsky and Terny on the Leman axis were unsuccessful, as well as attacks in the Barhivka area near Bakhmut. The GSAFU noted that Russian forces were concentrating their troops on the front in Kherson and Zaporizhzhia oblasts in an attempt to prevent further Ukrainian advances, while Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations on the Melitopol and Berdyansk axis. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar wrote on Telegram, quote, We advanced today on the Bakhmut front, on the southern flank around Bakhmut. There is an advance. Now our defenders are consolidating their positions on the taken frontiers, end quote. The United Kingdom Defense Ministry reports that Russian forces are using antiquated armored vehicles as vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices, VBIEDs. There are doubts about the effectiveness of the VBIEDs in spite of the large explosions they cause. Russian forces seem to be focusing on diverting Ukrainian reserves from the southern offensive to the Luhansk region attacking near Novoselivsky and the Kupinsk-Kreminna highway. Ukrainian forces were pushed out of the forests south of Kreminna. Moving on to the home front. The GSAFU reported Ukrainian cities were hit by 46 airstrikes and about 40 missiles fired from the multiple launch rocket systems, MLRS, as of 6 p.m. local time on July 13. Strikes involved two-caliber cruise missiles, one Iskander-M ballistic missile, and 20 Iranian-sourced Shahed-136-131 drones. Ukrainian air defenses reportedly intercepted both caliber cruise missiles and all 20 drones. One civilian was killed due to falling debris, and four were injured in Kyiv. In the northeastern part of Ukraine, there was no sign of offensive groupings, though the armed forces of Belarus continued to perform tasks at the border. Russian forces carried out an airstrike on a veterinary clinic in Kharkiv Oblast and shelled more than 15 settlements in Kharkiv, Chernihiv, and Sumy Oblasts. More than 10 settlements on the Liman axis and over a dozen settlements on the Bakhmut axis were shelled including Bilohorivka in Luhansk Oblast, Torske, Vrchnokaminske, Spirne, Rozdolivka, Vasukivka, Chasivyar, Oleksandro Shultene, and Dilivka in Donetsk Oblast. Nearly two dozen settlements were shelled between the Avdiivka and Marienka axis, particularly Berdichi, Stepova, Krasnohorivka, Avdiivka, and Marienka in Donetsk Oblast. Russian forces carried out airstrikes on Priyutny in Zaporizhzhia Oblast and Kozatsky in Kherson Oblast, 
and shelled more than 20 settlements across the two oblasts. One man was killed and another civilian injured during Russian attacks on Orihiv in Zaporizhia oblast. Ukrainian volunteers have created a, quote, people's missile called the Trembita. It is Ukraine's first native cruise missile and, according to the project's chief engineer, Akim Klimanov, quote, it's simple, cheap, and good at exhausting enemy air defense systems, end quote. Trembita is a musical instrument in Ukraine. It's a sort of a very, very long flute. If you know what a sopilka is, it's basically like a sopilka on steroids. Next up, the temporarily occupied territories. Hassan Timurziev, commander of the Amon, riot police, of the Republic of Ingushetia, was reportedly killed in a Ukrainian strike on the occupied city of Berdyansk on July 11th. Ukrainian forces used British Storm Shadow long-range cruise missiles to strike several targets in the city, including the Duna Hotel, in which dozens of Russian military commanders were killed. We talked a little about it yesterday. Lieutenant General Oleg Tsokov was also killed in the strike. Exiled yet legitimate mayor of Melitopol Ivan Fedorov wrote on Telegram that Ukrainian forces struck the forging and stamping plant in Tokmak with HIMARS, reportedly killing over 200 Russian troops, including their commanders. Fedorov reported that FSB officers and their relatives are withdrawing from the key railway hub. The Russian armed forces rely on railways, a type of ground line of communication, or GLOCK to keep their forces supplied with food, water, ammunition, and other critical material. Yes, materi-el. It's a military term. It's almost as if the West should have supplied long-range missiles to Ukraine months ago. Russian sources TASS and RIA Novosti reported that Ukrainian forces used cluster munitions launched by MLRS on Tokmak on July 11th following the strike on the forging and stamping plant. While the story was picked up by Euromaidan press-aligned mail blogger reporting from Ukraine, it hasn't been confirmed by any other reputable news source, and Ukrainian General Oleksandr Tarnavsky said in an interview on CNN on July 13th that regarding cluster munitions, quote, we just got them, we haven't used them yet, but they can radically change the battlefield, end quote. Fedorov also reported on social media that, quote, Russian occupiers will force all residents of the temporarily occupied territories to participate in illegal elections, end quote, in the occupied areas of Kherson and Zaporizhia this fall. According to GSAFU, Russian occupiers are deporting Ukrainian citizens in the Henichensk district of Kherson Oblast to Russia while their homes are reportedly being taken over by, quote, representatives of national minorities from the poor sections of the population of the Russian Federation, end quote. The deported include Ukrainian citizens who have not yet obtained or refused to obtain Russian citizenship, including families with children and the elderly. The Henichesk district is close to the border with Crimea. The Barents Observer reported that on July 11th, Russia started using two Rapucha-class landing vessels to ferry civilian traffic across the Kerch Strait, 
This is the first time we've seen Russian naval vessels used to transport civilian traffic across the strait. Usually, Russia uses ferries. The vessels had been used to transport military equipment from Novorossiysk to Sevastopol to support the war effort. The transition to using military vessels for civilian traffic across the Kerch Strait begs the question, what Kerch Bridge doing? Ukrainian outlet Union News published pictures of the support pillars for one span of the bridge with huge cracks in them on June 1, 2023. With the additional information, we assess the stability of the key Glock to be suspect or dodgy. If you're listening from the UK, were the United States to approve the transfer of attackums to Ukraine, the Kerch Bridge would likely be a favorite target. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. Speaking of dysfunction, let's talk about the Russian Federation. Russian media outlet Baza reported that huge explosions in Voronezh were caught on CCTV. Baza claims air defense was working in the area, but we cannot independently confirm. For reference, Voronezh is the oblast that Prigozhin took by shooting down several helicopters and aircraft on his, quote, march for justice, end quote, from Rostov-on-Don to Moscow. Around the same time as the explosion in Voronezh, Baza reported another huge explosion in Kurchatov, Kursk oblast. And the Russian news outlet MASH showed a video in Moscow of at least two trucks and a car on fire. The fallout of the dismissal of the Major General Ivan Popov and Prigozhin's putsch continues to cause havoc in Russia. The Wall Street Journal reported on July 13th that General Suravikin was once again detained by FSB and is being interrogated. The journal said that at least 13 senior officers were detained for questioning and around 15 suspended from duty or fired. A source told the newspaper, quote, The detentions are about cleaning the ranks of those who are believed can't be trusted anymore. End quote. Suravikin's deputy, Colonel General Andrei Yudin, and the deputy head of military intelligence, Lieutenant General Vladimir Alexeyev, were detained, released, suspended from duty, and are under a type of lighthouse arrest? Colonel General Mikhail Mizintsev, former Deputy Defense Minister who joined PMC Wagner in late April, was also detained. Mizintsev, also known as the Butcher of Mariupol, is likely responsible, along with Suravikin, for the infamous bombing of a theater sheltering 600 Ukrainian civilians, right at the beginning of the full-scale invasion. The Russian information space is in chaos. Notorious propagandist Vladimir Solovyov weighed in on the firing of General Popov on his radio show. Full contact. Covered in our brief yesterday, Popov issued a public statement about his termination, saying he tried to tell Chief of Staff of the Russian Armed Forces Gerasimov about the lack of counter-battery systems and reconnaissance, and deaths of his troops. 
Listeners inundated Solovyov with statements of support for Popov, which infuriated the propagandist, and he started calling his listeners, and these are direct quotes, cretins, pathetic nobodies, pitiful nobodies, pathetic shits, worthless pieces of shits. Russian slurs for Ukrainians, and I'm Ukrainian, so I'll tell you what it is. It's chachol. And reference Shakespeare's Hamlet? All before the weather report. The Russian mill blogger community is in a similar state of chaos. A couple of mill bloggers even dropped the Z or V letter from their Telegram channels. Igor Strelkov-Girkin, convicted war criminal, genocidal maniac, and former FSB officer, attacked members of Putin's inner circle, attempting to widen the cracks in Putin's fragile regime. Mill bloggers and nationalists have been emboldened to directly criticize Putin and his leadership over the many failures of the war in Ukraine. Analysis here? When Prigozhin's putsch first happened, we took a deep dive into the academic literature and assessed that because Putin had lost the monopoly on violence and the appearance of competency, the regime would fall within months, not years. After all, the fastest way to lose power in Russia is to lose a war. See, the Russo-Japanese War and the fall of Tsar Nicholas and the USSR in Afghanistan. You can listen to our full analysis in our July 2nd episode. We stand by our analysis that Putin's regime is mortally wounded and that Ukraine will win the war. Putin is caught in the dictator's dilemma, where he has to balance the needs of loyalist elites against the desires of the public especially the ultra-nationalist contingent he stoked to gin up support for the war. But if he fires Shaigu or Gerasimov, the elites will wonder whether they're next. Personalistic dictatorships like Putin's Russia usually fall because of a palace coup by the elites or by a popular uprising. Like Ernest Hemingway said about bankruptcy, and Timothy Fry said about autocracies, demise happens slowly, then suddenly. Are we approaching the suddenly phase? As soon as Ukraine is able to achieve air superiority through F-16s and strike deep behind the Suravikin lines of mines, trenches, dragon's teeth, more mines, and more trenches, it will be able to decimate Russian logistics. Russia is overly dependent on trains for its Glocks, and Tokmak and Kamyanka in Zaporizhia contain the only rail route from Rostov-on-Don, the HQ of Russia's southern military command, directly to Kherson through Crimea. If Tokmak were effectively freed because of constant Ukrainian missile strikes, well... In addition to the Kerch Strait Bridge, the railway bridge in Sivash, which connects Crimea to Zaporizhia, remains another potential single point of failure. By systematically destroying logistics hubs deep behind the front lines, Ukraine can force a withdrawal of Russian troops due to lack of supplies. The Russian Ministry of Defense, the MOD, said in a July 12th video posted on Telegram that private military company, PMC, Wagner Group, had transferred 2,000 units of equipment to the MOD, including T-90, T-80, and T-72B3 tanks, Grad and Uragan MSRS, Panzer anti-aircraft missile systems, self-propelled artillery mounts, mortar systems, armored tractors, etc. The MOD also claimed that it received 2,500 tons of ammunition and 20,000 rounds of small arms ammunition. 
Russian State Duma Speaker Vyacheslav Volodin announced plans to display destroyed Ukrainian equipment outside the Moscow embassies of the countries that supplied them. He's having a day, I guess. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said that the transfer of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine would be a nuclear threat. Because, of course he did. In European news, the Russian Orthodox Church reportedly plans to facilitate another transfer of Ukrainian prisoners of war, POWs, to Hungary. Just like the first, the exchange is expected to be conducted without cooperation with Kyiv, and the POWs are reportedly of Hungarian ethnic origin. European Parliament approved the act in support of ammunition production, appropriately called ASAP which lays out plans to accelerate the supply of ammunition to Ukraine and help EU member states replenish their arsenals. Finally, let's talk about news worldwide. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said during a press conference following the NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania, on July 12th, that, quote, we believe in Ukraine's victory. End quote, and expressed hope that Ukraine will win the war by the next NATO summit, set to take place in mid-2024. Zelensky also said that any doubts or ambiguities that existed prior to the Vilnius summit about whether Ukraine would join the alliance had been removed. Importantly, Zelensky stated that, quote, I'm certain that Biden and Scholz won't betray Ukraine, but still, I have to make it clear that we will never trade NATO member status for our territories, even for a single village that stands deserted but for one old man. We won't relinquish our territories, and we will never trade them for a frozen conflict. This will never happen. Our partners know my position well." End quote. Regarding the adapted annual national program, which became the new measure of progress towards NATO membership following the Vilnius summit, Deputy Prime Minister for European and Euro-Atlantic Integration Olha Stefanishina noted on July 13th that Ukraine is negotiating the final format of the program with NATO partners, but it will be a, quote, very short program, end quote. Six countries joined the G7 in providing security guarantees to Ukraine. In his nightly address, Zelensky said that on the first day of the NATO summit, Czechia, Denmark, the Netherlands, Norway, Spain, and Sweden joined the security guarantees proposed by the G7 nations. United States President Joe Biden said at a press conference in Helsinki, Finland, on July 13th that, quote, No one can join NATO while a war is going on, where NATO nations are being attacked, because that guarantees that we are in a war, and that we are in the Third World War. End quote. Biden did also state, however, that Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin has already lost the war, and Ukraine will be in NATO in the future. During the same press conference, President Biden made it clear that he sees no threat of Russia using nuclear weapons in the war against Ukraine. Turkish President Recep Erdogan will provide NATO specialists the opportunity to study a radar station from the Russian-made S-400 anti-aircraft missile system. Nice flip, Erdogan! And that's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. 
Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please, consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, zalashaytesev bespatsi.